you're in Kidmo, you can head on out. I hope we have a Kidmo leader. I see my wife out there. It may be her. It's Marie. Oh, that's probably who Deidre's talking to. I can't see Marie. So. All right. Um, so today we're going to continue talking about going deep. And if you've been with us, uh, we have been talking through what does it mean for us to be a church community. Uh, we've shared a vision statement that we hope that we will all grab hold of and internalize, not just as a part of our church, but in just our own lives. And that is that we are a community of changed people who seek to three things. Do you remember? Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And so we spent a few weeks talking about what does it look like to be with Jesus. We spent a few weeks talking about what it looks like to become like Jesus. And now this challenge at this series is doing what Jesus did because, quite honestly, uh, Jesus could do a lot of things I can't do. Um, so we're drawing back and we're not trying to say that we're going to go and we're going to die on a cross and we're going to heal the sick, although that, I do believe that does happen. Um, but what does it mean for us to do what Jesus did? And last week I challenged you that um, I'm a big picture person. I, I approach things from kind of the 30,000 foot level and then I go into the details. And I wanted to share what I felt like was a 30,000 foot level last week. But also, I want to, and I'm, I'll do this again throughout this series, um, oftentimes within the church, when we talk about going deep, what we mean by that is we want you to go deep in the church. Like, we want you to come, come more, want you to give more, want you to serve more. That, that is not the purpose of our series, and when we talk about going deep, what I'm encouraging us to do is to com be completely enveloped with this idea of knowing and following Jesus. That will have tangible effects on our church, but it'll have tangible effects on your life and in your jobs, at your home, um, all of your relationships. It will have tangible effects in those ways. And so I shared a story last week about repelling. I'm not going to share that story again, but my first time ever repelling, being scared to death to sit back into the harness and step off um, into the unknown. For some of you, if you grew up in a system in which our faith was very cerebral, it was very belief, doctrinal based, and sometimes our hearts didn't grasp the same things that our head was trying to tell us, then it can be a little daunting to step out into this. I'm all in on this faith thing with Christ. I'm going to let it change everything about my life. And there are times, not just in our faith, but just in life, that you have to step out a bit into the abyss, believing this is the right thing to do. And you can't fully experience it unless you do. And so I shared the story of rappelling and being on top of the platform, and it was hard for me to take that first step. But after I did, it was such a great, um, such a great moment within my life. But this is what I shared at the end of last week. This is kind of the big 30,000-foot picture. There is a part of our faith that is the adventure of a lifetime, and there's a part that we're committing to live the adventure that Jesus lived. And that adventure was to redeem the world. So what I'm suggesting that while we'll be talking about this over the next few weeks, big picture, Jesus came to redeem the world. He said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And we find that story repeated from Genesis all the way through Revelation. It is a consistent message that he has come to change things for humanity. And along these next few weeks, we're also going to talk again about our, our core values that as well we have changed. Um, 
just recognizing we're in a different season, um, but really focusing in on what are the big picture things in our lives that we we really want to emulate and that we want to value. And the one I want to share with you today is gospel centrality. It is that big picture idea that the lens for everything we do, the way we see each other, the way we see people, the way we see people that are hard to deal with. And we do that because sometimes we're that person for somebody else. Um, We do it through the lens of the gospel. And um, this is Uh, Just our summary of gospel centrality, which it may get edited and changed, but this is it right now. The gospel is the good news that God is redeeming the world through the coming of his kingdom, through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is the message that we are saved from our sins through Christ's death on the cross, burial and resurrection that gives us hope for eternal life. The gospel is a free gift of grace that should permeate the way we see God, the world, and it should transform how we relate to other people. When we allow it to shape our perspectives, our practices, our disciplines, our communities, and our very hearts, we are practicing gospel centrality. It's not just a belief, but the power to make all things new and restore the world to what it was always meant to be. So I want to pray with you as we we start this this morning, and I hope that I can share portion of my heart in this area with you. Father, I thank you just for this community of incredible people that we have come from all different walks of life. I thank you for just the the love that is shared in welcoming anyone from anywhere. And Father, I thank you for the work you're doing among us to help knit us together as a community that not only impacts our lives, but also impacts our communities. Father, I pray that you would speak through your word we would fully comprehend this idea of living out your purpose in our own lives. But in a way that's not just daunting, in a way that's not just fearful that we'll never measure up, but instead in a way that says, that is a good life and that's what I want to pursue. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So here's how I want to talk about gospel centrality today. I want to use kingdom language. And when we go through and look in Scripture the way Jesus I often would talk to those that were listening to him. It's through the language of kingdom. Um, not in any small part because that's the way they understood how this stuff works. They themselves were a nation. They were a nation who wanted strong borders and strong boundaries and they wanted to be able to flourish as a people. And they were being oppressed by another kingdom, the kingdom of Rome, who had come in and basically said, you are now ours and you will do what we say. And um, as we've talked through the years, we're not going to do it today, that interruption in their life was massive, even to the point where their religious leaders were in many ways replaced with people that would uh, continue to push the, the initiatives of Rome on the people of Israel. And so when Jesus came into the picture, he talked about this language of kingdom, the kingdom of God, or it will also be referenced as the kingdom of heaven. And one of the things I've tried to continually um, communicate over our time together is that eternal life is not bound up in life after death. Eternal life is a quality of life right now that when Old Testament rabbis talked about eternal life, they talked about your life right now. Jesus certainly pointed to hope beyond this life. But and when we think about what is eternal life or what is the kingdom of God, it is so easy to think about this thing that has not yet happened. 
And it's this thing that's coming. Either Jesus is going to return or, um, you know, this is going to be the rapture or at some point the kingdom of God will be here. But it sure doesn't feel like the kingdom of God is here right now. I want to share just a resource with you that we've used in the past, but we haven't used in a while. And I want to show you a short video from our friends at the Bible Project, who I'm a big fan of their work. Tim Mackey is a Hebrew scholar and an incredibly creative guy who uses short videos like this to try to communicate um, complicated theological truths. And so I want, you to, I want you to watch this video, and then I want to come back and talk about it in a couple of places where Jesus talks exactly like this, and what does it look like for our lives to live within the kingdom right now? How's that? Yeah, okay. Um, you can subscribe to their podcast or just go to their podcast, and while that little five-minute video is a whole lot packed into five minutes, um, there will be several hours of a podcast breaking down each piece that goes into that. Um, they also, through the app, you can participate in seminary-level courses. So they go really deep into some things. And uh, it's just a great resource um, that I just would encourage you to check out. And I've really come to enjoy and trust a lot of the things that they um, they do. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk about a little about... Uh, I want to talk about going deep in terms of what does it mean to live in the kingdom or to experience the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven right now. And while I do absolutely understand the kingdom of God is this future thing, I, like I, I am only concerned with future things as, as things that have not yet happened. But there's a whole lot of things going on in our lives right now. And when we understand the kingdom as future and not now, then we miss a lot of what God's trying to do in your life right now. There have been a lot of people through the years that have described this in our faith with the terms already, not yet. There is an already aspect of what Jesus has done, and there's still a not yet because he has said, I will return. And so as we go through this, I, I want to share some scriptures out of Luke um, 17 and um, I just want to try to understand as we leave this place, what does it look like if you want to commit, if you want to step off the platform, if you want to um, say, I'm going to be all in, if I'm ready to go deep, what does it look like for you to live within the kingdom of God no matter where you are, even if you are sitting right here in these pews or in your chair at home or you're at work working, you can, I believe, experience the kingdom of God everywhere that you go. But... What the scriptures also teaches is that the kingdom of God may not exactly look the way that we wish it looked. Because in general, what we've done is we've said that this place, this perfect kingdom of heaven, um, when we experience it, if that is when we die, is going to be complete with no problems. There's going to be no work. There's going to be no sorrow. There's going to be no hardship. There's going to be no heartbreak. And, And when we lump all of that wishfulness into the kingdom of God, above and beyond the way that the scriptures talk about the kingdom of God, we get a false sense of what it looks like to experience it in our lives today. Because often if we think about living within the kingdom of God today and our lives are hard, we believe that either one, we've missed it, or two, it's not real. And I do think the language in which we talk about what it means to know God and to follow him is having an effect in a culture that's pushing away from God because we have made promises that God never 
made. And we've painted a picture that God himself didn't paint. And this is one of the reasons that I would encourage you, if you are a New Testament-only reader, then you are missing a good portion of the story. If you aren't diving into the Old Testament, you will not understand what the New Testament is trying to say. Which is why we try to go through the whole thing together. But today, we're going to use Jesus' words, and I think he's going to back up what I'm trying to say, what I have already said. Luke chapter 17, verse 20. This is Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. It's beginning in verse 20. It says, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, look here, do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in the night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. This is one of those passages that we often read and go, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? And I also want to recognize that while Scripture is applicable to our lives today in 2024 and beyond, This was said to a specific group of people at a specific time. And as he's talking to them, he's not saying the kingdom of God is going to come once I am resurrected. He's saying the kingdom of God is here right now. It has been all along. We have a choice whether or not we want to experience that or not. We talk about that choice in lots of different ways. We can say we, you know, I'm I'm spiritual, not religious. Or I'm a religious person, but I'm not really a Christian. We kind of differentiate these ideas that there's thoughts and ideas about what I want to see myself as. But ultimately what Jesus is trying to say is you can use whatever language you want. Do you want this kingdom or not? And so it really is incumbent on us to understand well, what is that kingdom and how do we live in it? And how do we live in this already, not yet? I would again encourage you, that even in this story, just as many of Jesus' parables and many of Jesus' sermons, he is pointing back to the Old Testament. 
And I've heard it said that one of the challenges of of missing the Old Testament is like watching a movie with five sequels and you watch the, the last movie first without any of the character development, without any of the plot development, without understanding anything that's come up before it. You just enter in at a period of time where you think you know what's going on, but unless you know what's already happened, you don't really know what's going on. And you may be like me, that even that idea is a bit hard to swallow at times. I want to believe, I do believe that any person, given God's word and gives it an honest read, can come to faith in Christ. I absolutely believe that. But there's a part of me that at one time just thought that was enough. And it's not that it's not enough, it can be enough. The Holy Spirit, it it makes up for a lot of things that are missing but for us, when we have access to the whole story, if we don't take the whole story in, we miss so many things that God is trying to say. The number of cross-references to the Old Testament from the New is staggering. Don't jump in on the fifth sequel. Start at number one and work your way through. As we go through what he's saying here, let me just share a few things about, that I think are important for us to, to walk away with, and then where do we go from here? One is this, the kingdom of God is already here and it is available to you. The kingdom of God is already here and it is available to you. Anyone that says, no, it's not here, it's over there, ignore them. Anyone who says, no, it's not over there, it's right here, ignore them. The kingdom of God is available to us all and it has been for a very long time. Second thing that we take away from Jesus' words, is that the kingdom of God, and this is where it pushes back against our idea of what the kingdom of God should be. The kingdom of God is not immune to hardship, suffering, or heartbreak. And in some ways, the kingdom of God actually requires those things. I think this is an incredible message that we miss and we have messed up. I can remember growing up in the church, a constant giving of the gospel included something that ended like this Um, if you will give your heart and your life to jesus christ all of your troubles will go away and i found sometimes my troubles got worse am i doing something wrong am i a bad christian there are some streams of faith that if something's going wrong in your life it is your fault like it's a sin that you need to confess and you're being punished or chastised or disciplined. And at times we can use that as a, a way to shame. We can use that as an instrument. We can use that as a weapon to let people know they're not good enough. They're not doing near as good a job as I'm doing is usually how that way of thinking goes. But in reality, what Jesus is saying is even this kingdom can't be fully revealed unless first I am betrayed and I am tortured and I am killed. There is an expectation within the kingdom of God that suffering can happen and it does not mean that you are doing something wrong. One of the things I like that the video pulls out is that while these things are happening to this group of people, there's still this communication that what jesus is trying to address is not just rome being in israel he's trying to address the human condition he's trying to address the things that even once rome was gone we still had those same problems in the world 
We still have those same problems today. And while Jesus could come back and say, I'm going to overthrow whoever, that is not what he's trying to accomplish. He's trying to address the human condition. And if you want to live within this kingdom, you can live in a way that experiences humanity differently. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about Jesus bringing in um, or introducing kind of a different kind of human. We are not the same that we were before. All things are being made new. We are a new creation. That Jesus himself was the first of many that would come after him. Not that there would be many messiahs, but he was the first hybrid. He was God and man in one. And what we found at Pentecost was that you have the opportunity to be God and man or woman at once. Because the Holy Spirit will come and reside within you. God's presence at one time was in the Garden of Eden. Then God's presence was in this fiery, floating thing that guided the Israelites through the desert. And then it was in a cloud. And then it was in the tabernacle. And then the tabernacle became a permanent temple. And it was in the temple. And then when Jesus was crucified, when Jesus came, God's presence was in the the person of Jesus Christ, but when he was crucified and the storm came and the earthquake came, the curtain that separated where God resided and the rest of the world was torn to symbolize he is now out in the world with all of us. And just a few days later, we have this incredible story of these, these tongues like fire that come and just settle over each of the disciples and the Holy Spirit is now with them so that God can now reside within you. We are not the people we were before, once we fully accept and embrace Jesus Christ, we're kind of a hybrid too. Not the same. We don't view the human condition the same. But I think this is a... We lose a lot of credibility as Christians when we claim that by doing things our way or the right way, there will be no more hardship. It is a false promise. Even if we think, well, Jesus was just talking about, he was just talking about his death, burial, and resurrection, and that was all of the hardship. I read the story of the demise of the disciples, and you'll find they experienced great hardship as well. But they had found something that was so much greater than the hardship they experienced. They experienced the kingdom of God, even when they were in a community trying to get, do away with them. This kingdom of God stuff, it's huge. The idea that we just become Christians and then we wait till we die and we go to heaven and then we get all the good stuff is just, that is not scriptural. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of God is available to you. You can experience the kingdom of God. You can experience the kingdom of God sitting in this room by yourself or in your car or at work or sitting around a dinner table. You can experience the kingdom of God and what people need to see from us is the kingdom, not how good a Christian I am. When they see the kingdom, that draws you because we are all impacted by the human condition. We are all impacted by hardship. We are all in relationships in which we are taken advantage of. We're all in relationships when people we trusted found out to not be trustworthy. And we have all ourselves been in that position where we ourselves were not trustworthy either. The kingdom of God is something that changes the way we see everything. Gospel centrality says, I want to live in the kingdom and I want to share it with others. 
So what does that look like? Where do we go? Do we buy a, a plot of land off the grid and we huddle in together and we sing you know, worship songs together and that's the kingdom? And we'll, Maybe we'll even put a sign out front that says, this is, you're now entering the kingdom of God. Is that what it is? When we were selling stuff from our old space, I, a guy came in and I was talking with him and that was exactly his plan. And he wanted some of the stuff we were getting rid of. They had gone in with several other families and bought a plot of land and they were going to work the land and they were going to be kind of a commune for Jesus. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to lie. There's something that's somewhat appealing about that vision, but I don't think that's for me. But the kingdom of God, it can't be bordered in like that. The kingdom of God is everywhere if you want to be a part of it. So what do we do? How do we experience it? Is there a secret handshake? Is there a secret code? Is it the prayer that we pray? Is it the number of times we pray? Is there a dollar amount we have to give away? I mean, what? how do we get into this thing? And I, there is absolutely a, an intentional aspect of living within the kingdom of God. have to be intentional about life. As Christians, we should be some of the most disciplined, intentional people on the planet. You have to be intentional in how you live in the kingdom of God. You can't just sit and wait for it to come and then get on board. Like, ooh, I see Jesus on a white horse riding through the sky. I think I am going to get right with Jesus right now. <laughs> well, I may not have said it that way. That was 100% my plan when I was younger. Because <laughs> everybody knows Christians are no fun. And I wanted to have fun. I remember I was probably 12, 13 years old, and I just thought, you know, there is a point where a person is incapable of fun. Like they reach an age that's incapable of fun, and that's a great time to give your heart to Jesus because you can't even, you can't even have fun by then. I figured it was like 30. I thought 30 was that age. You know, by the time a person gets 30, they pretty much live their life. I mean, they're just kind of waiting to die at that point. And, and I think around 30 is a good age for me to give my heart to Jesus. I think very differently about that now, of course. I'm not sure our kids think any differently, by the way. They still think 30 is like, you're a foot in the grave at 30, you know. They'll find out. Age is coming for them. Isn't that a wonderful truth of the human condition? It's coming for you. I am sharing my suffering. You do have to be intentional, but you can't just sit and wait and then say, oh, there it is. Now I can get on board because... Well, two, two reasons. One, he says you can't see it coming like that. And, and two, part of the kingdom of God is not do it right or you're in trouble. Part of the kingdom of God is this is available if you want it and if you miss it on the day that you realized you miss it that will be a bad day because you would have wanted it the whole time. Kingdom of God is available to us. We'll just sit and wait. He uses the examples of Noah and Lot. Everybody was going about their business. They weren't waiting for the rain clouds. They weren't waiting for for God to announce what was going to happen in Sodom. And instead, everybody was going about their normal everyday business, and then it happened. It just happened. We all have probably had moments in our lives where we were just going about our business, and something just happened, and it just kind of changed everything. He's saying these things just kind of happen, and it changes everything. You can't wait for, to, to prep yourself. I, like Either you want it or you don't. 
And if you want it, it's available to you. But you've got to be intentional about how you live. You've got to be intentional about what you do. And I think if we were to break that down, I would say you need to live in the kingdom now and just live righteously now. Just do it. And when you do it now, then you experience all of the parts of eternal life that Jesus came for us to experience. A quality of life beyond anything that any person will ever experience apart from God. The kingdom of God isn't found by seeing signs and waiting for it to arrive. It is already here. And even us in this room, some of us can be fully experiencing the kingdom of God And while the rest of us are surrounded by it, we may completely miss it. Or maybe we're all experiencing the kingdom of God. It's not like I can see an aura. Keith's looking a little volleyball-ish. I'm not sure he's really experiencing the kingdom of God right now. He's thinking about where he's got to go next to ref a tournament for parents who treat him like he's the worst person in the world if he doesn't give a call for their kids, right? That's my experience with what refs put up with and umpires. You can experience it now. So what do we do? I think that's the point of our series, doing what Jesus did. So what do we do? I think one of the things that we do is that we just do what Jesus did. I think that includes things like live righteously, Okay, go to that next slide. Live righteously. Love God. Love your neighbor. Forgive when you're wronged. Pray for your enemies and don't resist them. This is, the king, this is how the kingdom works. I love that image of bandaging the warrior's knee and that we, they are won by our love. They are not won by our snappy responses. They are not won by our shame. They are not won because... We proved we were better thinkers than them or we understood the Bible better than them. Jesus said over and over, it's about loving people. We're going to win people by loving them. If we make somebody subservient to us and force them to agree with us, all we've done is make them bitter. Maybe they give in, but we've made them bitter. We've not actually helped them to experience this whole thing that Jesus gave his life for. Care for the poor, care for the widow, care for the orphan. That is pure and undefiled religion, according to the scriptures. Pursue restorative justice in the world. We've been spending some time talking about justice. We pursue justice in the world, but not the kind that punishes, not retributive justice, even though that's usually how we understand justice. You did something wrong, now you will be punished, so you won't do it again, and other people won't want that punishment, and they won't do it either. That is the way our justice system works. But justice in scriptures is restorative. God is working to restore the world. Remember that 30,000 view? He has come to redeem the world. He's working to be restorative. How can we be restorative? Where are the places that people are being oppressed and people are being hurt and people are being held down and we're complicit? We can at least stop being complicit. Where are the things in our world that we we need to step in between someone who's being abused and their abuser? Will we be willing to receive the abuse on their behalf? Because that's what Jesus did. 
you think, well, gosh, that doesn't sound like something I want. There's a reason that the gate is wide that leads to destruction and the gate is narrow that leads to life. Because few will find it. It's just this mystery. You know, one of the things that keeps my attention in my faith and in the scriptures is this mystery. Like these things that scripture says are going to be true and you're like, that can't be true. I'll try it. Man, that was amazing. There's these mysteries that there's a way that we think life is supposed to look good and we pursue them and life ends up being miserable. And there's a way that's like, I don't know, like giving my life for another, loving my enemies and praying for them. I don't know about that. But yet when you embrace it and you begin to practice it, something happens within you that you're like, this isn't normal. Right? The kingdom of God is not normal. We pour ourselves out for others. And we live intentional lives where we practice things that move from our heads to our hearts. When things get hard, we don't give up, we keep going. Some of the things I would hope for us as, as, as a church for gospel centrality is that when we come together, every person that walks in the door, no matter what they look like, how they talk, what they smell like, if, they, if it's somebody we know and we don't like them, the kingdom of God says, you are welcome. Come in. And until you have those people in your life, and you're like, I don't want to welcome them. You don't really realize how upside down this kingdom is. person walks in, you're welcome, you're wanted. For some of you, that may look like saying hello because saying hello is like the worst thing you could think to do to talk to a stranger. I know a lot of us are more introverted and the idea of welcoming someone's like, yeah, I won't say anything negative, but I don't really want to talk to them. And you say, I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to do it. I'm going to practice the kingdom. I think it means that we dive deep into the scriptures and we don't take them just at our literal modern English reading of it. And instead we say, this, this is a treasure and I'm going to dive in and go wherever it takes me. And I can tell you there's a very real difference in taking scripture on that in that way, versus, well, I really need to read the Bible so I know what it says, because Christians read the Bible. It's very different to do that than to say, I'm just going to, I'm going on a journey, I'm going to let this take me where it will take me, because I do believe that is how the scriptures were written. They were written to take you on a journey, not just give you all the parameters. So you'll read scripture and you'll be, it, it will apply to something that you never, a literal reading would never have occurred to you. Spend that time in the scriptures. That's why we're doing Bruise and Views. Bruise and Views is meant in a, in a time and in a culture in which we cannot disagree, but instead we willingly choose to come together and talk about topics that are divisive because we have to learn how to be less emotional about them and just talk, but also listen. Service can't just be something we do because we need something done. Service in the church has to be because this is the way the kingdom works. This is the kingdom. The kingdom means that the 
First will be last, the last will be first. The greatest among you will be the least, and the least among you will be the greatest. It's Jesus getting down and washing feet rather than having everyone attend to his every need because he's the big guy. No one sees himself as a big guy. We're just trying to live in the kingdom here together, and that means we serve each other. Some of this is fairly abstract, I recognize, as we kind of wrap things up here. Some of it is highly practical. One of the things that have helped me understanding live righteously is a a different way of understanding righteously. Because I grew up in a time where it was about being right. And my father, he coined a phrase that... um, that has been, he's passed it on to some of his offspring. I will tell you that. And that is, I may not be right, but I'm never in doubt. That was, that was my father. Like, he could be completely wrong, but he, he would never know it. And he's not going to speak about it as if he's wrong. He got a lot better, and I hope I have gotten a lot better myself. But I grew up in a system where righteous meant be right, do it right, be better than everybody else. And that's not the kingdom of God. A better understanding of living righteously is do right by others. Do right by God. When we do right by others, living righteously takes on a whole other meaning. Of course, it requires more conversations because then you have to wrestle with, well, what does it mean to do right by others? But it's a very different sense than I'm right and you are what? Wrong. Very different. I have been wrong about so many things. I'll never admit it, but I have been. Deidre keeps a little running tab. Likes to remind me sometimes. But that's not how we bring people into the kingdom. Do right by others. Like you can do that right now. You can do that as you get in your car and you leave from this place. Or walk. As you walk home. Do right by others. And so you begin to experience the kingdom of God when you begin to have the mindset of, okay, I'm going to do right by every single person I come in contact with. Now we're talking about the kingdom of God in your life and you're experiencing it wherever you go. I'm going to do right by others wherever I go. And sometimes because the kingdom of God allows suffering and struggle and heartbreak Sometimes you will do right by someone else, but they won't recognize it and they will actually be upset with you for doing right by them because the human condition is still horribly broken. But you can still choose to do that. You can still choose to say, I'm going to love. I'm going to figure out what that means and I'm going to do it. You can right now forgive people that you need to forgive. You don't want to forgive. Let's be honest. I I want them to come and ask me to forgive them. I don't want to forgive. If they come and ask in the right way and they're clearly penitent about it, then maybe I'll forgive them. That's what we want. That's what the human condition craves. But thank goodness that's not how God forgives. Praying for our enemies. Who are your enemies? Why are they your enemies? Caring for the poor, the widow and the orphan. Pursuing justice in the world going deep means intentionally living out the kingdom of god no matter where we are or who crosses our path and when we live out the kingdom of god wherever we are and with whoever crosses our path 
the kingdom of God has the opportunity to grow. We invite other people into it. And maybe very few take us up on it. But maybe some do. Going deep is living in the kingdom here and now. Not waiting for it later. Recognizing by being intentional. There are things you can do right now to intentionally live within the kingdom and spread out its borders around those you come in contact with. And our hope is, is just like bandaging the knee of the warrior, by loving other people, they are going to want to know more about this kingdom. And they're going to want to know more about Jesus too. Would you pray with me?